Thank you, Kirsten. Well, good morning, church. Oh, thank you. So we're breaking open a new series right now in the month of December. It's something that God put on my heart when I was on the treadmill. And I was just blank slate asking the Holy Spirit, what would you like to say to us? Immediately, hope rose up in my, in my, my heart. Not, not my wife, hope. She's always in my heart. This was fresh, divinely inspired hope that rose up in my heart. And this is the phrase that came up. A people of hope. Because of the birth of Jesus Christ, that event has caused us to be the most hopeful people on the planet. In fact, we are people of radical hope. Because if God could do that, if God could come down as a human being, if he could have angels appear to shepherds in the middle of the fields, and sing a heavenly choir about the coming Messiah. If God could, 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 uh, could can, uh, fulfill 2,000-year-old prophecies to the T, come as a human being, live a sinless life, be crucified exactly as Psalm 22 says he would be crucified, which wasn't even invented as a form of, of uh, persecution and death, until 700 years after the prophecy. Break the power of death. Be raised from the dead. He can do anything. And we are his people. Therefore, we are the people of radical hope on the earth. And over the next few weeks, you're going to find hope arising in your heart. Some of you are hopeless. Some of you have experienced some pretty devastating things. For some of you, the Christmas season is not a happy season because some really difficult things and losses happen during the Christmas season. And I believe God is going to breathe fresh hope into your spiritual lungs over the next few weeks. And I'm not just pontificating. I am not only just prophesying. This is really going to happen. Some of you, it's already happening. This morning's worship, the prophetic word Gary had, the prophetic word Rainy had, all of that, me knowing what the Holy Spirit is saying that he's going to do for the next few weeks, all of that was seeding into the reality that hope is going to be, again, arising in your hearts. And our hope is a radical hope, family of God. It's not, oh, I hope my football team wins tonight as the Chargers beat the Patriots, or I hope it rains today so my garden will grow. But our hope is an expectation that our God can and will break into every hopeless situation on earth. And we as his people should never approach any situation on this side of heaven and ever say out of our mouths, that situation is hopeless. How could we say that when we are in relationship with the God of hope? He calls himself the God of hope. Let's go to Romans chapter 15 and look at our... You can't preach on hope without going to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. So let's just get it out of the way right up front at the beginning of this series. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. Look what God says here. Now may the God of hope... Everybody say the God of hope... Listen, that's the name of your God, the God of hope. 
Say it with me again. The God of hope. Now listen, Heather said something to me yesterday or the day before we were on the phone just preaching to each other. And she said, God would never have called himself the God of hope if he did not know that we were going to have some devastating experiences on this side of heaven. He would never have called himself the God of hope if he didn't know that we were going to need hope at times. But I want to go to beyond that and say, we are not just people who know the God of hope and can have hope breathed into our spiritual lungs and into our lives, but we are carriers of God's hope because we are in relationship with the God of hope. We are people that are to bring hope into every hopeless situation on this side of heaven. But some of you need hope breathed into your lungs first. And that's going to happen today, it's going to happen next week, it's going to happen on Christmas Sunday. God's going to be restoring hope in this house, and we're going to be carriers of hope, like carrying water to those who are thirsty. Now may the God of hope fill you. Everybody say, fill you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now that is the key operative phrase right there. That you may abound by the, and hope, may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I was kneeling in my chair by my, in my, my bedroom. I have a little prayer chair in my bedroom. I was kneeling there recently. And this is what I said to God. God loves honesty. Don't, don't pray. Don't try to impress God with your prayers. It's, he yawns when we do that. It's boring. He likes raw, real, tangible, say it, just like you're feeling it, prayers. And so I knelt down and I said to God, in this particular situation, I have no hope. It's not like he doesn't know that. It's not like he doesn't know what you're feeling. I have no hope. You and I both know it. I have no faith. I have zero inspiration around this. And I need some. So I'm just going to kneel here until I get some. I was there for about an hour, just pouring out my heart. My favorite scripture in the entire Bible, it says, pour out your heart to God. He is a refuge for us. I just get really honest with him. Wouldn't you want your children just to be honest with you about what's going on inside their hearts? And you'd be a refuge for them. And so... I sat there for a while waiting for the God of hope to touch me. And he did. It is a miracle on this side of heaven for your heart to be touched by God. I knew there was nowhere else I could go to get hope. The hope I'm talking about is not an earthly source. It's the God of hope whom we walk with. And he touched my heart, and it was like this little spark. And all of a sudden, I just, it's just, it's, it's hard to put into words when God does something, right? There was no hope there, and then there was. <laughs> and the only, the only new variable was God's touch, the God of hope. And this is the thought that came to me in that moment. I could either sit here and be hopeless which turns into cynicism and despair, you can't just live flatline. Listen, I know hope is a dangerous topic. Because your level of hope and your level of experience, the gap between that is your level of disappointment. 
So many times we have had so many unanswered prayers and so many hard situations and so many things we believe for that didn't happen that we decide, I don't want to feel that disappointment anymore. So I'm just going to flatline. Well, let me tell you a little secret. You can't flatline in life. Your heart and my heart is designed by God to believe, to hope, to expect. You can't just flatline. You'll start going backwards and you become cynical and critical and sad and angry. And listen, you cannot flatline injustices, people who are suffering, people who are in poverty, people who are in pain. You can't be indifferent. And we as the people of hope are the ones that step in. We are the ones that are carriers of this divine hope. My wife has really been struggling lately. For those of you who know, she has a disease called Meniere's disease. That's why she's not here this morning. We had another severe bout. She was on the couch for two and a half weeks, just immobile. And, uh, and then she started getting better and she had a, a relapse. This is a devastating disease. But do you know what God has said to her recently and what she is doing? She's at the top of her class at San Diego State University, one student of the year, because she is going after offering hope to suffering children in the third world with preventable diseases. She has such a passion for suffering children that what is she doing while she's on her couch immobilized? She's not getting online and complaining and whining and getting to support groups about her disease and how, how bad she feels about herself. You know what she's doing? She's having her classmates email her the, the uh, lectures so that she can study for her exams. And she's pulling a four point. Why? Because she wants to be a hope to the hopeless. And her situation that seems hopeless, she refuses to be hopeless. Because it's not just about her. It's about her mission to be the hope of the world. To a certain segment of people carrying God's hope through her. Can I hear an Amen. Yes, she needs to get healed. This is a situation where we need a miracle. Because this isn't, oh, you can struggle along and limp as you fulfill your mission. This is a mission stopper. But I'm in relationship with the God of hope, just like you are. And I am not hopeless because God is the God of hope. Now, next week, we're going to look at sources of hope. And one of them is this. You may be in a situation or maybe you've experienced in the past, and this is huge. We'll unwrap this a little more next week. And Heather's going to share a testimony next week about how this is working out in her life. We have so many testimonies of hope in this house. But listen, when the immediate situation that you're believing for does not turn out the way you were hoping for, that does not mean it's over. Because the God of hope just doesn't quit. Next week, we're going to look at how we have to extend and expand our definition of hope. Because the God of hope just never loses hope. God, the God of hope never looks at a situation and says that's hopeless. Because he sees beyond the situation. And he actually ends up causing it to be greater than if that tragedy never happened. Because he's the God of hope. Am I putting you to sleep yet this morning? Or are you, are you, are you just shouting amen really loud inside? And I decided in that moment when I was on my knees and God spoke to me and gave me the revelation, you can sit here and be hopeless or you can choose 
hope. That was a revelation to me that I could choose hope. And I thought I would much rather live with hope than without hope. Okay, I may be experiencing some disappointments, but I'm not going to live hopeless. That's, 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 that's a miserable existence. And in that moment when I chose hope, I, I remember the moment. It was one of those milestones in my spiritual walk with God. I remember the moment I chose hope. I started praying the biggest audacious prayers I've prayed in a very long time. I started praying for everything. Because you've got to get something if you pray for everything, right? <laughs> but if you don't choose hope, you'll stop praying. And you'll sit on the sidelines and just criticize and be a nasty, negative, ugly person that just keeps losing friends one after the other because nobody wants to hang around with you like Linus with a blanket and all those little flies flying around your head for those old crooners in here that know what I'm talking about. But here's the truth about hope. And I don't want to get stuck on you and I as the followers of Christ learning how to have our hope restored by the God of hope because our mission is so far beyond ourselves. So far beyond ourselves. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go into all the world and share the good news. Go to the ends of the earth. Our mission, family of God, is to be the carriers, the dispensers of hope to, the broke, to, the, to a broken world, to the world. That's who we are. That's why even as my wife sits on the couch, can't even get off the couch, she's there with her laptop. Pressing forward in her vision and mission to save suffering children around the world. There's a true story about a Syrian monk, a follower of the God of hope. A Syrian monk in 400 A.D. Named Telemachus. He's at the gladiator games in the Colosseum. And here's how the God of hope works. He initiates divine, righteous indignation in our hearts. He places his heart of pain and compassion for the suffering and for the loss of the world. He uses our hearts as the containers and the, the conduits of his hope into a hopeless situation. He grabs you and squeezes your heart and so you have to do something about the situation. And this monk saw these gladiator sports where people's, Lives were considered worthless and just entertainment. The height of the gladiator games was that a human being would die. And the God of hope squeezes this follower of Christ's heart, this monk. And you know what he did? He literally left into the arena and he shouts out, this thing is not right. This thing must stop. And because he was interfering with their pleasure, the authorities gave the command for him to be run through with a sword, which was done. Thus he died. But in dying, he kindled the hearts and consciences of thinking persons. And history records that because of this, within a few months, the gladiatorial combats began to decline. And very shortly, they passed from history. Why? Because one man, one follower of Christ... One carrier of divine hope dared to speak out for what was right. Genuine Christian hope is not a passive ingredient in the mix of life. It is nothing short of the most powerful catalyst for change 
and a broken world. People of hope see a situation. I'm talking about us now. People of hope see a situation. And the first thing they say is, my God can do something about that. No matter what the situation is, my God can do something about that. And then, and then they roll up their sleeves and they step in. That's how heaven meets earth. I'm going to give you an example of this. Mark, would you come and share? Mark and I were on the phone talking about this week, and he shared a couple things that is the exact illustration of what I'm talking about as the people of hope. So uh, did you have a story in mind? Which one of those two? Uh, yeah, I like, I want you to tell both of them, but you got to be brief because okay. I'm preaching today. I, <laughs> this is so tempting. Um, when I was a lawyer, I became a Christian and uh, it was making a real difference in my life following the Lord. And I was the principal lawyer for the what you guys would call Section 8 housing in our in our city. I worked. I, the government was one of my clients. I did all of their evictions and uh, see some really tragic evictions because once they leave that kind of housing, there is nowhere for them to go. And their reputations are finished and they're essentially on the street. They can't get housing. And I had this uh, girl I was evicting. She was in her mid-twenties, and she had a little girl. She fell, like, way, way behind in her rent, and she was going to be on the street. And it's my job to kick her out, which I have to do. I, I can't sleaze my job for her sake. And uh, it really got to me, so I went to church Sunday before the eviction, before the court hearing, and told, just got up and told the church, this is what's going to happen. Everybody just started giving money. And we had more than enough to pay her arrears in rent. So I went to the court to evict her, and I saw her in the hallway outside the chambers. And I said, uh, told the church, Sunday about your situation. Here's your back rent. I gave her a pile of cash. And I said, you go in and show the judge the cash. And you come out and give it to me. Absolutely shocked. He said, why did you do this? Because Jesus loves you. And so do we. Never had to evict her again. And there was this guy, he was losing his farm. He'd, he'd gotten in a situation with kind of a really sleazy sort of semi-loan shark kind of guy. And he was now losing his farm. And it was the last thing he had. So he came to see me. And uh, he didn't have any money to pay me. So it's one of those decisions, you know, you just decide, are you going to do it for free or not? So I decided we'll do it for free. So we got into discoveries and all of this legal manipulation and everything else with, with the guy that he owed the money to. And we were running up a big bill, but my client wasn't paying for it, so it didn't matter. 
And at one point in, in these meetings, the, the, the guy who he owed the money to said, you know, I'm just going to keep on grinding him until he has nothing left, and then he won't be able to pay you anymore. And once he's not able to pay you anymore, you'll quit, and he'll go under, and I'll get what I want. And I looked at him, and I said, what makes you think he's paying me? And he looked at me, and he said, you, you would never do this for free. And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I am doing it for free, and I'm going to go on doing it for free until you've spent all your money. And he said, why would you do that? And I said, because what you're doing is wrong and I really don't like you. (laughs) And he backed off and we worked a settlement. So sometimes you get to be the instrument of God's hope. Amen. Now... Some of you are not lawyers. Most of you are not lawyers. So you think, how could I ever do something like that? Listen, the offering for this lady who is going to be evicted, that is such a reversal of Mark's role. Isn't that just a beautiful story? This week, I was on the phone with one of our members who just had a double knee surgery replacement, Julie McLean, who's on our financial board here at the church. She's a a scientist here uh, in San Diego in the uh, one of the uh, UCSD, I believe, and she, she's a solid Christian and, and doing a Bible study there and the salt of the world and the light of the world, salt of the earth. I mean, and so she's, she has the double uh, knee replacement. Hope gets knocked down for a couple of weeks, so I, I'm not connecting with Julie. And finally, this week, I'm sitting in the parking lot ready to go into Seas Canyon to get a box of chocolates for the teachers here to say, hey, you know, Merry Christmas. It's great to be in the school. Hope we can continue to get along. And I thought, i got to call Julie. So I called Julie. I asked her, how are you? She's not doing well. Double knee surgery, double knee replacement is brutal. And the pain meds and, and the emotional and psychological stuff you go through. And I'm talking to her, and I'm thinking, what can I do? And I said, well, who has reached out to you? And she said, nobody. And I'm now I'm sitting there thinking, oh, this is not good. And so then I ministered to her as much as I can. It was a, and I said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take care of this, Julie. You're not going to be alone anymore. I hang up the phone. I call Phil and Christina Williams, who head up the Family Needs Connection here at the Gathering Place. When there's a need in the body, they do something about it. And so I call up Phil, and I said, we have got to take care of Julie. And he said, give me her, ne- give me her, her number, and I got this. So... The next thing I know, what he does is he gets the information, and then he, we have this little website. You go up on it. It has a, the days that you can bring meals to somebody and come by and, and give them a meal and pray for them and love them a little bit. And, and uh, so that night, Hope gets on the website, and I said, hey, we need to bring Julie a meal. And she gets on the website that night, and she says, all the slots are taken. And I said, that is the way the body of Christ is supposed to work. We are people of hope. We bring hope into every situation. Another, I just got a testimony today from uh, Ron Farnworth. This morning it came, it came to me. Ron, uh, boy, what a champion of the cause. What a champion of the faith. Ron Farnsworth, Ron and Kahana were in our church for years. Kahana died of cancer. We surrounded her bed in her, their house, their house, we, 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 we circled them and we're 
Lee, I think Heather, I think, were you there with us leading worship? I'm not sure. I mean, there's people coming in and out. We were leading, we were singing, we were praying. And two of the most precious people I've ever known in my entire life. I remember the membership class when they first came to the church. I started talking about Jesus and they start crying. And I didn't know why they were crying. And then it dawned on me pretty quickly, they love Jesus more than I do. <laughs> and it's real. So Kahana dies of cancer. What does Ron do? He grieves. Jesus gives him a vision. Literally like saw his wife in heaven dancing with Jesus. The God of hope. Gave Ron a vision of his wife in eternity. And it gave Ron fresh hope. And so you know what he decided to do? Become a minister in the prisons in San Diego. And he is born more. Go ahead. Where are you, Ron? Right there. He has borne more fruit since Kahana went on to be with the Lord than he has in the last 30, 40 years of his Christianity. Is that true, Ron? Would you say that's true? That's God. And you. Don't say it's just God. Don't say it's just God. This is the point. You are a conduit of heaven on earth, Ron. And listen to his testimony. Dear Pastor John, I just have to share good news about an inmate named Guy who came to our four-day program in October as an atheist. He's a believer now (laughs) and has a smile on his face. And Roger Ziegler, the yard pastor, tells me that Guy is just blossoming. God is so good. Looking forward to all that God has for us in December. That sounds like expectation to me. The Christian life is a life of action. Because we are a people of hope. Genuine Christian hope does not wait for tomorrow to see what may become of those in need. Authentic Christian hope seeks opportunities to bring justice to those who suffer injustice like Mark did. Feed the hungry, provide for the poor, heal the sick and the brokenhearted, relieve the widow and the orphan, restore the broken and save the lost. Who does that sound like? Luke 8, Jesus Christ says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. So that I can have an encounter. So that I can speak in other tongues. So that I can get revelation. No, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? To preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To open the prison to the prisoner. Open the prison doors. To recovery of sight to the blind. Christianity is an action. Authentic Christian hope sees a situation and does something about it. And the God of hope gets involved. I remember when I was a businessman that God showed me why he raised our business up from the ashes. He showed me that if I were to change the purpose of our company for my brother and I to make money to my brother and I to be a conduit of financial hope to those in financial need, that he would pour heavenly resources through our business. I remember the weekend it happened. I remember how he communicated, communicated it to me, which, I, which is better communication than I'm giving right now. When you're communicating and you stumble over the word communication, it might be time to stop. 
And he showed me so far beyond whether am I going to tithe or not. So far beyond how much do I have to give. And it, he broke me into the revelation of father and son in the earth as a joint heir to the kingdom of God. Heaven's not broke. Heaven's not hopeless. Who are we going to help today? And as I started to not just tithe and not just give offerings, but actually pay people's rent checks, pay their car payments, pay for their groceries, you start doing that, the joy in my heart. I became a messenger of hope. And God started giving me more sales than I'd ever gotten in the history of our company. The light went on. I went, oh, you really mean this stuff. Now, I miss those days when I could do it individually at that level, but now we get to do it corporately. We give in this church hundreds of thousands of dollars away to the poor and to the needy and the suffering and the missionaries and water wells in Africa. I love it. Don't you? Don't you love being on purpose with the God of hope? Stephanie bringing a missionary team in January to India. To go out to remote villages where they don't even know computers have been invented. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have any cold anything because nothing. They don't even know about refrigeration. They live in these little huts. She's going back to share Jesus Christ with Muslims and Hindu who had never known his name, never heard his name before. And they're going to give their lives to Christ in January. She's a messenger of hope. I've gone with her. You can go with her. There's still time. Didn't get a big amen on that one. The Christmas story is that God, through Christ, brought light into the world. Listen to this prophecy that John the Baptist's dad gave to his son John when he was born. In Luke 1, it says, And you, child, talking about John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God, with which... The day spring, that's Jesus, from on high has visited us. Why? To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our way into the way of peace, guide our feet into the way of peace. So we all know that when we say, who is the light of the world? Who are you going to say? Let me ask you, who is the light of the world? Jesus. Yeah, we all know that. But do you know what Jesus Christ says about his people? Look what Jesus says. Matthew 5. You are the light of the world. I'm not so sure you should walk up to anybody, though, and say, Hi, I am the light of the world. (laughs) I'm not sure that the interpretation, I'm not sure the translation of that will come off well. You might not want to say that. But in this context, I want to say, you are the light of the world. If you have asked Jesus Christ into your heart, then you are the light of the world. In that, he wants to shine through you when you enter a hopeless situation. It might be your prayers. It might be your money. It might be a word of encouragement. There's a guy that came down here that worked for Young Life for about 20-some years. Young Life is one of the most vibrant youth organizations on the planet. He came to our pastor's uh, meeting a couple months ago. Never met him before. So when we have a new pastor or a new parachurch minister come into our group, we put a chair in the middle, whether they're charismatic or not. And if they're not charismatic, they don't know why there's a chair in the middle and why they have to sit in it. But we put them in there anyway. And, and we said, we want to lay hands on you. 
We want to bless you from this region. As the clergy in this region, we want to welcome you and bless you and pray prosperity over your ministry. We do that with every new minister that comes into uh, this region that comes to our group. And so we start praying over him. I've never met him before in my life, but this impression, this strong impression rises up in me. It was obviously the God of hope. And I said this to him. You are not in this position in this region by default. What I didn't know was he had left the uh, young life and he adamantly was opposed to ever returning on staff again just because there were some difficulties. But he loved ministering to young people. So he was out of it for 18 months and they were asking him to come back into the position and he said, I, I'm, I'm not going to go back to that. And then uh, some parents came up to him and said, because of you, our child, and they gave the testimony of their child, because of you. He said it shocked him that his heart in that moment did a complete 180. And he went back to He went to his wife and he went to the leadership of Young Life and said, I will take the position down in San Diego. And this is what his wife said to him, his own wife. Are you sure you're not doing this by default? Just because the position needs to be filled. He calls up the leadership of Young Life and they said exact same phrase. Are you sure you're not doing this by default? So he comes to our group and God uses a mule. A carrier of hope. A dispenser of the hope of God. And he said, I just met with him this week in our group. He said, the last two weeks have been hell. And he said, it was that word that you gave to me that carried me through the storm. We are the light of the world in dark situations and hopelessness and discouragement. Look what Jesus says. You, listen, this is to you, so take this because we're closing here. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. I want to say just get up. And start to shine. Don't be whiny. Don't play a victim. I know you've been through hardship. I've been through serious hardship and I'm going through some right now. Uh, many of you in this house are. But you are still the light of the world. This is what I want to say. If you're suffering, go help somebody who's suffering. That's the way you get out of it. This is what God said to Hope just this week. Focus. Don't focus on getting healed. Focus on being a healer. Wow. That's powerful. That's proactive. You get healed as you go. You carry your cross with dignity. Don't get on Facebook and get into a group and start whining and complaining about your, your situation. Get on there and start being a dispenser of hope saying, even though, what does Paul say? I get knocked down, but not knocked out. I'm confused, but I'm not in despair. Why? The life of Christ is coming out of me. These light afflictions that are but for a moment are working for me a greater weight of glory. That's the eternal perspective. That's the Christian perspective. And in your suffering and in your brokenness, you can still be a minister of hope to a hopeless world. Can I hear an amen? amen. Don't let Satan sideline you. Don't play into that. Give me attention. I'm a victim. Don't. It's a, it's a sorry reward. And it does not line up with your calling.
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Pastor Chris Suber says it a little more bluntly than me. He says this, quote, Are you filled with the audacious hope that comes from knowing God? Or does your hope consist of empty wishes waiting to be fulfilled by the imaginary deities of our secular culture? Our hope, when it's anchored in this world, is going to be fickle at best. It's going to go up and down. Don't even remember who won the Super Bowl a few years ago. Don't remember the, the guy who won the winning catch. We don't remember that stuff. It's fleeting. The hopes that we have on this earth, they come and they go. They're up and they're down. There's so much brokenness. And there's answer prayer. There's not answer prayer. It's just so fickle. And then we put our hope into the, into the sources of this world and the temporary things. The Christian hope. The Bible calls it an anchor of the soul and eternal. We have a hope that's not of this planet, family, and we carry it in our hearts. This Christmas season, it won't, you won't have to look too far. Find somebody who's hopeless and be the God of hope to them. Let's all stand. I'm going to ask the band to come up here because I want to... I'm going to close out today's message, but I want to break open this series the next two Sundays about a people of hope. I pray you pull up out of your despair. And as you're believing for your situation, you also believe for somebody else's situation. Let God fill your spiritual lungs again with hope. Not just for your situation, but for somebody else's situation. Let's be the light of the world. And I've asked the band... To break open this series, this revelation, with Hope's Anthem, written by a a worship leader out of Bethel. And I'm going to believe this, that as we are singing this, some of you are going to have the God of hope spark your hearts right in this next few moments. He's going to restore you the way he restored me. And you'll choose not to live in despair or hopelessness, but you're going to be a messenger of hope. Let's worship together. In just a minute, after she gets her earpiece in. Just ask the Lord, say, God, touch me. Say, God, touch me. God, touch my heart.